Welcome to The Gaggle, an AZ Central podcast where we chat with reporters, experts, and special guests to keep you fully informed on the state's political news. I'm your host, Yvonne Winget Sanchez. I cover national politics for the Arizona Republic. And I'm Ron Hansen, also a national reporter for the Republic. The first federal campaign finance reports of the year came out last week. This can show us how candidates raise and spend money in federal elections, and it can provide an insight on who might be running and for what positions in the 2022 and 2024 elections. In this week's episode of The Gaggle, we'll highlight some standout fundraising, or lack of fundraising. The money really gives us insight into what could be in store for Arizona's political landscape over the next two years. Ron, April 15th is typically one of the best days of the year for you. You stay up super, super late, and usually in the morning, there is a nice, beautiful spreadsheet with all of the candidates just waiting for us to dive into the next morning. What stood out to you the most as you were compiling all of this data? Well, To be clear, April 15th is not normally a day most Americans rejoice, but for political nerds like you and I, it's uh, one of those quarterly finance dates that is uh, pretty important if you're trying to get a read on what's happening and and what might be coming. Uh, So looking at this latest round, um, I think the big thing is the, the Senate race or the potential Senate race. We saw Mark Kelly, the uh, Democratic senator, raise a pretty workmanlike $4.4 million. Uh, This is very comparable to what he raised two years ago when he first began his uh, elective office career. Um, One of his potential opponents is Representative Andy Biggs, a Republican who is mulling a Senate run. And his campaign report showed that he raised about $243,000 in the first three months of the year. And I think this is important for two reasons. Number one, it just underscores the gulf between the Democratic candidate in waiting and one of the potential Republicans who might be willing to take him on. But also, uh, Andy Biggs, of course, was one of the principals in the January 6th effort to set aside election results that also is more member remembered for the violence at the Capitol that led to five people dying, uh, including a police officer. So, Yvonne, I guess the, the first thing is, is given that disparity, does that really suggest what is happening or not with uh, Republicans and, and this, you know, much ballyhooed uh, Senate race next year? So let me just give you a little bit of context. Mark Kelly, during his last run for the Senate, raised $100 million. Martha McSally just about matched that. She was the Republican who he unseated. That doesn't even account for any of the outside money that was spent in that race. So on his own, Mark Kelly raised $100 million. Thus far, Andy Biggs has raised a pretty marginally low amount. What that seems to suggest is, A, he hasn't yet really sort of taken this thing seriously and hasn't really sort of geared the machine up to um, bring in mass amounts of dollars. B, 
For all the talk about mulling over the race, he really isn't going to run. C, he hopes to jump in the race and somehow change the game or is expecting that there will be a flood of money from, say, President, former President Donald Trump's uh, donor list or others. So, I mean, I, I think that there were a lot of people who were sort of waiting to uh, see if his fundraising picked up, perhaps, especially in the last part of the quarter, um, as he was sort of making the rounds and, and talking to folks about potentially running. You know, this fundraising is typically a sign of energy, a sign of potential viability uh, with a candidate. And, um, you know, thus far, it just doesn't seem as though he has that, at least for a statewide race. Now, a House race, if he wants to run again, is a completely different um, sort of, of race. Less money. You have to appeal to a lot fewer people. He can sort of keep on keeping on. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it was it was remarkable to see just such a, a low sum when compared to Mark Kelly's. The other little interesting nugget um, and I think that this was also anticipated, was that um, he reported that he did pay for a poll that had been widely distributed and sort of provided one version of some insight into how he might um, uh, fare in a potential head-to-head against, uh, against Mark Kelly. So certainly interesting. One of the things that kept coming, experts kept saying as we were talking to them um, for a story that we worked on about these reports was that Biggs hasn't yet demonstrated just the actual infrastructure to be able to raise the type of money that would be needed for a Senate race. And um, a couple people said from their vantage point all the way back on the East Coast, it appeared to them as though the only person who could actually get up and go quickly and tap into uh, the type of donor base and get the type of money that would be needed to match Mark Kelly as somebody like Governor Doug Ducey. He clearly is not in the race yet. So what else did we learn about these reports? Um, Paul Gosar was, uh, was also instrumental, obviously, in the January 6th insurrection. How did he fare fundraising-wise? Yeah, so I think when you talk about the folks in the House, you have to judge them by sort of nine different standards to reflect the nine different districts that we have in the state. By Paul Gosar standards, his $120,000 raised in the first quarter is actually kind of remarkable and for uh, an impressive sort of reason. This is somebody who doesn't normally raise a lot of money. Two years ago, for example, he raised about $33,000 in the first quarter. And for him to come out of the gate with so much more, especially after not just January 6th, but also controversial appearances for an event in Florida that was organized and led by someone who is very hostile on immigration issues and uh, really seen as a white supremacist, it really sort of signaled that for Paul Gosar, none of this has been politically detrimental to his his core base. He raised more money than he did two years ago after these kinds of events. So that was what was the first thing I think that stood out. You know, and compared to, for example, Debbie Lesko and David Schweikert, who are the state's other two House Republicans, uh, they saw their first quarter fundraising dip compared to two years ago. Theirs wasn't um 
uh, huge declines in fundraising, but it, it was going in a different direction. And especially in light of the uh, threatened corporate pullback in fundraising uh, after January 6th, for those who were supportive of setting aside the election results, this was notable. Uh, both Lesko and Schweikert did vote to set aside election results. In David Schweikert's case, he did not vote to set aside Arizona's results, but did support tossing Pennsylvania's. Um, neither of them were especially vocal about uh, election fraud and the need to um, be as um, vocal as Paul Gosar and Andy Biggs. But it appears to be, at this moment, something that didn't hurt Biggs and Gosar, but may not have impressed donors for Schweikert and Lesko. Yeah, we talked to Zach Henry. He's the former state party uh, spokesman here in Arizona. He's now working out of state as a Republican consultant. And he knows these figures very well. And his take on uh, Gosar and Biggs's fundraising hall was really that just sort of the average Republican voter was looking for someone to stand up and really address these mistrusts and these concerns that this election wasn't handled appropriately, you know, they wanted someone to stand up and fight. And they wanted somebody to say, prove it to us that this thing was handled properly. And, you know, his take was, you know, it might not necessarily hurt Republicans who sat on the sidelines and didn't join in this chorus of criticism um, over the, the election results but that it didn't necessarily hurt those who did, at least here in Arizona. So certainly uh, a really interesting um, development on that front. On the Democratic side, uh, there were some interesting nuggets there too. Uh, Congresswoman Ann Kirkpatrick, who uh, represents Arizona's Southern Congressional District, District Number 2, um, is set to retire. How did that uh, news sort of play out in her fundraising numbers? Well, donors seem to have gotten the message. <laughs> they they stopped opening their wallets uh, to Ann Kirkpatrick shortly after her announcement. You know, the thing to know about her is that uh, Ann Kirkpatrick has been a pretty stellar fundraiser throughout her her political career. She has been doing this at the congressional level off and on since 2008. She's always been in competitive type districts and ran for the Senate once. Um, so she has been really kind of expert at tapping into uh, Democratic fundraising pools and done quite well historically. This time she raised $45,000 and it really almost completely stopped after her announcement in March that she would not seek another term I think this is not shocking. People understand. I think the greater suspense will be what does she do with the significant cash that she now has heading into the future? She is able to allocate some of that money to other candidates and other causes. And so Ann Kirkpatrick can give back that money. She can redistribute it to people and things that she thinks are more in line with uh, her, her goals moving forward. So it's a significant sum of money that will be uh, eyed with some interest, I'm sure, by many on the left. All right. So that's Kirkpatrick. Then we have Congressman Tom O'Halloran, who holds one of the more competitive seats in the nation. He represents uh, parts of northern uh, Arizona. 
he brought in uh, about 344,000 this year, and that's a lot more than he brought in during the first quarter of 2019. He also took in a check from a certain someone that Republicans seem to be hyperventilating about. What is happening on that front? Yeah, so uh, Tom O'Halloran is a moderate Democrat who has held this seat now since the 2016 elections. He is a pretty good fundraiser and uh, is really been sort of, uh, you know, poison for Republican candidates running against him. It's a tough district, but Republicans just can't seem to take it away from him. But the lines that form the political boundaries in Congress are going to be redrawn later this year. So next year's races could be significantly more competitive. And in Tom O'Halloran's district, which is largely rural to begin with, you've got a Democrat who has to feel like he is feeling heat. And it's reflected in his fundraising for the first quarter. Uh, he went from 200 some thousand dollars to $340,000 uh, this first quarter. I think it reflects the kind of urgency to make sure that whatever his needs, money won't be one of them next year. It's also worth noting that among Tom O'Halloran's donors this past quarter was a political action committee uh, associated with a very prominent Democrat from New York. I won't tell you her name, but I will just give you her initials, AOC. <laughs> okay, I will give you her name. It's Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. This is something that is politically radioactive, at least Republicans hope so. Uh, her PAC gave O'Halloran $5,000, and it's something that is seen as potentially a liability in a district that's pretty competitive and for someone who is reputedly a moderate to be tied to someone who is seen as very arch left wing. So Yvonne, one other Democrat that I think uh, a lot of folks are keeping an eye on is Representative Greg Stanton in the Phoenix area. How did he do and why do we care so much about his relatively safe seat at this point? So Greg Stanton, he's a former city of Phoenix mayor, former city councilman. He's been in Congress for several years now, but he may be eyeing a gubernatorial bid next year. That's sort of why his profile is uh, so interesting and his fundraising is as well. Interestingly enough, he raised slightly less than he did uh, a couple of years ago during the first quarter. I don't know necessarily what to make of that, but that is what he raised. Okay, so apart from the money, there's also um, just some lingering questions, it seems. Number one, about the Senate race, Yvonne, the, the calendar. We're now through with the first quarter of this year. There are some folks wondering where are the contenders for the Republicans? How much of a concern is that? How much should we be looking at the calendar? How much should Republicans really be worried uh, at this point? So if you talk to Republican operative types, privately, what they will tell you is that, you know, they're not feeling too hot or too optimistic about their potential prospects. Um, there seem to be, you know, several multiple people, multiple Republicans who are eyeing um, a bid. No one has jumped in yet. You've got Jim Lehman, who is um, affiliated with DEFCON Power. Uh, he is a big Trump supporter, and uh, it, this, I think, would be his first big run for office. He's largely an unknown. You have folks like um, 
Michael McGuire, who served as the adjunct general with Doug Ducey. He recently retired. I would certainly expect him to, to jump into the race. And folks like Blake Masters, who's affiliated with Peter Thiel, and there's some speculation that there would be quite a bit of money that he would be able to uh, pour into a race like this. Um, and then, of course, all eyes are on Andy Biggs. And we are not quite sure when he will make up his mind. I do think that the field needs to start shaping up probably by the summer. There are other people who think that you could wait a lot longer up until the filing deadline, especially if you were to be able to get a candidate like Doug Ducey, who already has the infrastructure to raise a lot of money to, to jump into the race. I think it would take a lot of convincing to get him to go there. Um, the other big lingering question out there is how does Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell feel about the prospects out there and what are they doing to try to recruit any other kind of candidates to try to take on um, Mark Kelly? So that's a lingering question. It's one that we won't know the answer to for some time, I'm, I'm sure. And the other thing that seems to be really uh, interesting uh, is, is Paul Gosar's most recent move. He has um, he's going to be co-chairing the America First Caucus over in the House. And this is from a guy who has long been rumored to potentially be eyeing a departure from Congress instead of staying there. What does this tell us about how it could impact you know, his fundraising and his future? Well, what we already have seen with the fundraising is that it hasn't suffered far from it. His fundraising has picked up. His fellow founder of this America First Caucus is Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene, the Republican from Georgia. She's a freshman and she has been quite a national spectacle um, to this point. She was expelled from all House committees earlier this year, uh, in part because of comments that she made to seem to approve of violent rhetoric involving Democratic figures. She is divisive and polarizing in a way that is uh, that has already made her one of the more high-profile members of the Republican Party in the House. Paul Gosar has really kind of been there, done that for a long time now. And I think that what this does is keeps him out there as a more prominent national figure within the party to use either for fundraising power to spread his money over to other candidates where he thinks that it might be more useful and to just establish him as somebody who is still with the party, that you shouldn't count him out just yet. I think there are some who presume that he's not going to be around. He's not giving any inch uh, to this point, and it's still early in the cycle, obviously, but uh, Dr. Gosar is not going away quickly. That is it for today, Gaggle listeners. While we still have you, please don't forget to rate and review our show and share it with a friend. If you want to reach out to me on Twitter, I'm at Yvonne Winget. And I'm at Ronald J. Hansen, and that's H-A-N-S-E-N. Today's episode was edited and produced by Amanda Luberto with help from Maritza Dominguez. Thanks so much for listening to The Gaggle, a podcast from the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. We'll see you next week.